Hello, and welcome to the next installment of the SUS News Podcast Series, where we interview newsmakers and discuss the news and applications relevant to the global unmanned technologies community, and that might have to change to uncrewed here soon. I'm your program <laughs> host, Patrick Egan, and let's say a big, warm, Texas-sized welcome to our co-host, Mr. Gene Robinson. Hello, Gene. Yeehaw, man. What a new year makes, huh? Yeah, it's a <laughs> hello. How are you, sir? I'm still happily negative. I'm I'm uh, happily uh, negative, and um, not just on the uh, well on a whole bunch of fronts. <laughs> but you know, we'll, we'll draw a little bit. Um, no, come on. <laughs> come on, man. Now uh, you know everything is as uh, good as could be expected. Um, you know, just as we were talking about before uh, that we went live here, um, I, we're, we're, we're coming up on 10 years of, of podcast history. Is that crazy? Isn't that amazing. God, I can't, I can't believe we've been meeting here on this uh, little channel and yakking about stuff for that long. But, uh, yeah, I guess that's true, huh? Drones are new. Drones are new. Um, you know, I, you know, all of these, uh, we still hear in the news, all of these new uses. And the only new use that I've really heard in a while and, uh, was, uh, and I think we talked about this a little bit is my buddy, Werner von Stein, he's also SF Road School. Uh, this season was, was, was flying the menorah, you know, which is, uh, good work if you can get it. It's only, uh, you know, eight days of work a year, but hey, you know. Like I said, good work if you could get it. And I want to see a video of that. That sounds like an interesting application. Um, but besides that, I really haven't uh, heard of any real new applications in the last year or so. You, you have, how about you, Gene? Anything new? No, you know, not, not really. But um, I, I do have to kind of say that this week I've been working on something that's kind of deja vu. Uh, you know how the uh, the big savior, the big deal for the drones in general was going to be agriculture and farming and precision farms and all that. Well, um, I've actually been working with a company here at the uh, Austin Community College Public Safety Training Center this week. And uh, they have developed that model again, I guess, or they uh, started it again, and they brought out uh, some DJI products that I had never seen before. Um, one of them was called the T30, and they have been diligently working with the FAA, going through all the hoops, and uh, uh, this drone weighs, at takeoff, 171.96 pounds. Hmm. That's, that's rather large. Well, larger. That's yeah, somewhat larger airframe to than your usual run-of-the-mill, you know, Mavic Mini. So uh, it's been a very interesting deal. They they've uh, they look like they've got a pretty successful business model working, and and we were testing this big bird, trying to get uh, you know some some spray patterns and density. And I got to say, they're doing some really cool science to determine, you know, when, where, and how it can be used. And 
you know, aside from the obvious waiver that they've got on weight, um, they're going to be swarming these things. So they're going to be running, you know, as many as three at a time. And, uh, and then obviously the next obvious step is going to be BB loss. And, uh, they're, they're cranking through all of that stuff and, uh, it looks like they're making some headway. And I'm, I, I was kind of surprised, you know, when we started talking about that again, cause you know, how long ago was it when we were talking again, this is where our longevity kind of comes in because we know where all the skeletons are hidden. How long ago was was it that we were talking that uh, precision farming was going to be the drone capstone? How how long ago was that? Two thousand three, two. weren't weren't you uh, weren't you doing? Yeah, we, I mean, but uh, yeah, and it was a big. It was a well-known um, agricultural outfit. I think everyone's eating their products at one time or another. Oh, oh. okay. Was it uh, that was when we were at the ASTM meeting there in Reno, and yeah, that was uh, Simplot. Was yeah. that it, or was it? Yeah. yeah. And you guys were doing something with onions, and uh, and it worked, as I recall. Yeah, it did. And, you know, um, it was interesting because those guys knew who Simplot was, and they will not touch drone now. They, they, For some reason, there is, they're absolutely off limits in Simplot, which I well, know. Maybe, maybe they got it broken off into them, you know, so many years ago, and they said, we'll never do that again. Well, I mean, there was uh, Simplot, and there was, you know, Remember, everybody was talking about FedEx. Even the guy that was on the uh, the the small unmanned systems arc was uh, flew for FedEx, and you know Fred yeah. has been looking for ways to save money, which is uh, let's say it's like algebra for getting rid of pilots. Um, you know, if we don't mince words, uh, so there there were some big names that were involved early on. Before we go too far down memory lane, let's let's bring our guest on because we'll give him a chance to uh, come in and talk about some of these subjects too, at oh, his yeah. own discretion. Because uh, you know, some people um, you got to wear Nomex around here, man, because it, it gets kind of toasty. But let's bring him on. Uh, uh, he's no stranger to the show. Gus Calderon, Gus, you out there? Yes, indeed. Hello, Patrick. Happy New Year, both you and Gene. Happy New Year, sir. Um, before, before we get into, you know, you'll have the, the listeners will have to wait, like you know. Well, okay, let's do this, guys. Give it, could you give us a, a a little bio for the listeners, uh, what you've done and where you're at, kind of in a, uh, a Cliff's Notes type of uh, version. Sure, no problem, Patrick. That's easily done, I think. Um, just been playing with, you know, RC models since I was a kid, and then when autopilots and cameras started coming along around 2008 and nine, started putting them in fixed-wing aircraft and met up with Gene, did some fun stuff, uh, built a big multi-rotor, flew Lady Gaga around, and I've uh, been doing a lot of design and development uh, on multi-rotors over the past few years. Recently, been working uh, with Telegrid, designing their drone for cargo delivery, uh, which they uh, have, um, they're working with Kroger for doing grocery delivery, and actually most recently Papa John's as well. They have a pilot program that just started up in Atlanta. Um, and then also there's um, another project I haven't mentioned to you guys, I don't think, but um, 
it's not exactly a new application, but it, for me it is. It's uh, wildlife tracking with, with drones. So um, working with uh, actually the director of conservation at the LA Zoo, uh, Jake Owens, uh, they need uh, basically a multi-rotor to track their pandas that they've basically, um, you know, bred in captivity and then released into the wild in, in China. And um, they're having a problem tracking them on the ground with their little radar systems. So anyway, they know some people up in L.A., started bringing in drones. I heard about it and was asked to help out just because of my background developing multi-rotors. So I've been doing that. We actually are collaborating now with uh, UCSD, with their engineering department, just fabulous. Um, so uh, while that's, people have been attempting that on a small scale for, for a, you know, a few years, uh, we're hoping to bring that a little bit more into the mainstream with some of the newest technology, newest autopilots, et cetera, and some new engineering. So that's basically where I'm at today and what I'm working on. And it's a lot of stuff. And I would uh, suggest to the uh, listener, if you want, or several, we've had you on several times over the years. The, the Lady Gaga thing was very interesting. It's it's an interesting story. <clears throat> and I, I know you always approach things. You're, you're a, a man uh, aviator, and you approach things uh, with, let's say, the, the mind for safety. So I would suggest to people, if you want, you can go back. I think there's 176, five-something episodes, uh, just as in several of them. And, and you can look at those and listen to those and, and uh, you know, get some back, more background on, on Gus. Because actually, you know, it was funny. We have people on the, on the program, and I have to uh, – I usually let them do the bio because usually the people that come on here have been doing stuff for years – and uh, it's it's hard for me to pin the highlights of someone's career that's been doing this for you know whatever twenty years whatever so that's why I usually do that. But there's there's lots of inter- interesting background uh, that people can find and, and come through. But you know, I was and, and I I I got to say something here. I mean, he kind of glossed over flying Lady Gaga around, but I mean, people need to look at at the flying dress. Because that was uh, Gus Calderon, and uh, I believe Mike Hennig helped you with that, didn't he, Gus? Absolutely. And that was a particularly challenging project, especially because, you know, back in way back in 2013, the technology is nowhere, you know, where it is today as far as you know, electric motors. We had a custom make propellers because there weren't even props large enough for the motors. So it was an incredibly challenging project, um, but yet we were able to pull it off. So uh, I was very fortunate to be involved in that. Really learned a lot about multi-rotors uh, on that project, tremendous amount of testing of different components. So great experience uh, overall in the end, luckily. Yep. <laughs> Yep, yeah, and yeah, uh, our listeners should know that uh, Gus is quite the paper hound as well because, man, he can generate some paper like nobody's business. He wrote the uh, the, the first uh, uh, acting procedure for and uh, waivers and, and that sort of thing for Hollywood doing uh, using drones on movie sets as well, which I think is a pretty big accomplishment because I was the first. Thank you, Gene. Yeah, I'm still doing a lot of technical writing, honestly, helping a lot of clients up in L.A. Uh, submit um, applications for exemptions to fly over 55 pounds for aerial cinematography. So still doing a lot of technical writing, uh, operating manuals, and then hopefully, you know, Part 135 manuals for Telegrid as that program type certification program advances to the next phase as well. So it's something that just always kind of came natural to me. Uh, it doesn't 
come natural to a lot of people from what I understand. So uh, I just, I just kind of continue to do it and I actually like it, which is kind of strange and odd, but true. <laughs> yeah. Well, the, the, the liking it part might be, uh, you yeah. um, know, and, and I get that too, because I would, uh, I'm not uh, that, uh, I'm trying to think of family friendly description of the, that bureaucratic <laughs> stuff that uh, you know, just drives me nuts. But, um, yeah, it's an interesting first there, um, and I did want to. We are. I want to circle back on some of the cinematography stuff, and um, you know, we, we did talk, and you were talking about uh, you know some of the advancements in FPV and whatnot. But um, I, I still did kind of want to talk a, a little bit about the news because the, the, the title of the program was "Delay of 5G," and we, we had our own delay this morning due to uh, internet issues, which is kind of plays into this because it was internet and then I tried to tether to my phone and I'm still having, uh, let's say, data issues with, uh, I'm up in the Sierras, lots of snow, um, and we, we had extended power outages and cell phone outages and all the rest of that stuff. But that kind of plays into today's show, which is the delay of 5G, and uh, most of you probably saw in the news, um, the FAA and the transportation department are, have been asking the cell phone companies to kind of slow down on the 5G because there's some potential issues. And it seems kind of funny to me. I mean, the main deal, I don't even really know all of the details on what's going on and what's affected or not affected and all the rest of that. The main point of contention for me is that we've known this for years. Um, and, you know, a certain three-letter agency has just been trying to bang the square peg through the round hole and ignoring it until last minute, which seems to be a recurring theme to me. Am I, am I totally off base on this one? And anyone can jump in here or remain quiet uh, for their own, you know, for their own whatever, you know, comfort. Gene? <laughs> well... <laughs> I just yeah, right I mean, being a pilot, and, and given, you know, given the uh, ultimatum for 2020 and ADSB and all that good stuff, um, you know, they they weren't very sympathetic to. Uh, now, Gus is a you're, you, Gus. You're also a pilot, so me, me, you know. <laughs> that is true. Okay, I am a pilot. I, <laughs> Uh, they, they weren't too sympathetic to us when it came to the 2020 mandate, were they, Yes. No, I had to comply. We complied early. There really, you know, still at the time was not a lot of equipment that had been developed because of the long certification process. Um, so we just had to, you know, bite the bullet. I will say there are still, you know, because we have, we use this idea, we use it all the time. You know, I've got a a single engine for those who haven't been following me or whatever on the show. I've got a beach bonanza based down here at Palomar, and, you know, we're flying around all the time. We can see who has ADSB and and who doesn't. Now, it's still not required uh, outside of controlled airspace, um, but that doesn't seem to prevent uh, prevent a lot of aircraft who don't have ADSB from flying into controlled airspace or even under the ring of Class Bravo. Uh, so, you know, it's still not a perfect system by far, uh, but, you know, we, we have to do what we're mandated to do. Um, it's as simple as that, unfortunately. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, you know, in, in retrospect, I think some of that too, when I, you know, I think back on the arc and I remember AOPA's position 
on the ADSB thing, and, and really even let's say 2007, uh, and, and before even going into the arc, that they were like, well, what are, you know, what are we getting out of this deal? You know, uh, as far as um, the ADSB, and uh, you know, they, they had a sweet in the pot with weather. You know, well, you're going to try and put weather in the thing. Well, we don't really need it, and all the rest of that. Anyway. Um, you know, and it was supposedly about safety, and then they kind of threw the droners like, well, look at these guys. They're totally, uh, they're just cowboys doing whatever they want to do. That Gene Robinson flying around for Simplot, he's a bad apple, and we got to do something about that. So some, some other stuff, uh, I think the background story uh, on that. But, you know, ADSB is here. It does, uh, you know, kind of work, I guess. Funny you say that, uh guess about the mode C veil do a lot of uh, flying in San Francisco and they have a lot of air charters. Uh, they've got like the sea planes and they've got the helicopters and these guys do have ADSB, but I would say that their uh, altitudes are, uh, are not quite spot on, you know, um, and, and folks are flying a little low and all the rest of that stuff. So I'm sure they got to work the bugs out. But the point of that was that the mandate came in and there was no, uh, there was, wasn't a lot of leeway on that. But this 5G thing, um, I, I, HAI's been talking about it uh, for a while, and some other people have been talking about it. And the FAA's been doing the RID thing, and there were a lot of people who were trying to come in with their, you know, as advocates with their own patents, trying to use 5G as a, uh, let's say, solution for the RID on Beyond Visual Line of Sight. So it's not like the cell phone companies weren't in the room or, you know, frequency and, and, and stuff like this propagation was going to be an issue. Did, did, did you guys, were you guys, any of you aware of what was going on for the last couple of years? Or did you have other things that you were thinking about? I, I didn't catch it. It got by me. Yeah, I was working on other projects. I mean, wasn't really a top priority. I knew it was going on in the background, but it was just kind of background noise for me personally. Yeah, well, you know, and I think that the same, I mean, you know, there's chubby or fish to fry. Uh, I know I was more, uh, let's say, concerned about RID and the Fourth Amendment stuff and, you know, tracking people, minors, and stuff like that. So it really wasn't on my radar. Like I said, I, you know, I get the, the emails from HAI. <laughs> It's kind of interesting that that was going to happen, but I don't know. I, I just think it's kind of, um, you know, as we saw in those, uh, the letters that went back and forth and New Year's Eve and whatever else, and I guess it's already going on in Europe, and they're, you know, what's the problem over here? Uh, but again, I think the main point of contention for me is it just doesn't seem, you know, that it seems like the FAA kind of rolls at their own pace and, you know, they really don't care, you know, and it's kind of like that with, uh, you know, the, uh, the, 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 in the 2012 reauthorization with the mandate to integrate drones into the NAS by 2015, which just came and went and everybody seemed to forget, forgotten about. I mean, we're going to be rolling up, well, we are. I mean, it's been a decade that they knew that they were going to have to do it, and we're still not there. Um, you know, and am I wrong for being, you know, negative about that, Gene? Yeah. Well, no, I mean... The, the speed of government has always been frustrating for us. You know, there's there's been no doubt about that. I, I think if you'll recall, once uh, the, the great mandate came out, um, when we were all grounded, that 
someone optimistically said, guys, don't worry about it. Six, eight months down the road, you're going to be flying. Yes. And uh, they also said, you know, could you please stop uh, contacting Congress because the phone's ringing off the hook and we can't get anything done. That was a mistake uh, for sure. (laughs) Um, But, you know, uh, I mean, going back to the ad thing, you know, just real quick, you know, so, you know, we remember, oh, data, you know, the the excuses that the FAA has come up with are, uh, they're they're pretty much dead at at this juncture as far as I'm concerned, because, you know, thinking back, we were talking about farm drones, you're talking about farm drones in 2002, three, four, um, you know, blah, blah, blah. But I mean, the, the Japanese have been flying those R-Maxes around since the, I, I, I want to say, later 80s, early 90s. And, you know, even uh, in the 2000s, they, they had like 15,000 certificated pilots, you know, and, and you can't, I mean, there's got to be, we're talking I'm aging myself, but, you know, we're talking 20, you know, some odd <laughs> years of, you know, data. And you just, you can't say that we don't have the data. We, all we can really say is you, you don't want to uh, buckle down and, and uh, you know, discern what's in the data. And then also here, you know, one of the big bones of contention, I know that most of you guys are manned aviators, and, you know, whatnot, but, you know, this equivalent level of safety thing is really what was the uh, drum that AOPA was beating, you know. Equivalent level of safety, equivalent, you got to have this equivalent level of safety. And I, and, I, and I remember on the arc saying, you know, hey, you, know you might want to, you know, scale that back a little, tone it down a little, because I don't think we're going to have the fatalities, uh, you know, that, that manned aviation does. And everybody, you know, oh, we got skin in the game. But as we are seeing, you know, the, the folks on the ground, you know, they don't really have skin in the game until, you know, late in the game. And, uh, you know, I'm not trying to make light of that, but I, I, I don't think that drones turned out to be the safety issue that they thought. I'm not saying that there isn't safety issues and things couldn't be, you know, buttoned up or, or uh, screwed down or whatever. But uh, I think there's enough data already to show that, uh that they aren't as uh, a menace that they thought. Any comments before I, I go on with my monologue? <laughs> no, I no, I, I think you're right because uh, I think the safety issue was overhyped uh, and overstated, and uh, it just hasn't turned out to be the woolly booger that everybody estimated it to be there in the government. Uh, I mean, obviously, when it first started out, there were people that were doing some pretty stupid stuff. But it's because it was new and uh, it was attention-getting and uh, everybody wanted their 15 seconds of fame. So look at me. I went up to 15,000 feet with my drone. And uh, it it happened a lot. Nowadays, I think more than anything else, you've settled into kind of the, well, it's, it's a kind of a cool technology and, it's okay, and the millennials are just kind of backing away from it because they don't even want to drive a car, much less fly a drone. So, you know, it's it's kind of – I think it's kind of actually ramping down a little bit. And, and Gus, I'll, I'll throw it over to you as a manned aviator, and, and I've always listened 
to, you know, things that are going on around my airport anyway. And, and the worst thing that we've had is we had a paraglider that keeps flying over, you know, the center of the runway you know, every weekend. And uh, I just I haven't heard that many. And, and well, no, I take that back. I've actually heard that there has been a reduction in pilot reports of drones. Have you heard that, Gus? We are still seeing a lot of drones in controlled airspace. Um, I've seen them myself, taking just launching out of Palomar Airport, uh, even climbing out of. 2,000 feet, spotting them myself, having to report them to the tower. Um, but in, in the past five or six months, maybe maybe not as many. Uh, but prior to that, there were, uh, you know, earlier last year and the year before, uh, there really were a lot. And at LAX, it's a huge problem still. But so are other safety issues too. You know, the, the whole laser, you know, light issue, uh, that's yeah. another problem. Here's another one that doesn't catch much news, but uh, Maha's actually seen it. My wife's flight instructor flies almost every day around here in San Diego. Manned, or possibly unmanned, uh, or woman, we don't know, uh, jetpacks. Oh, um, yeah. And yeah. So Which, say, what she again? reported say them. I mean, jetpacks, somebody, we don't know who, or more people flying with a jetpack up three or four thousand feet agl over here in no San Diego. Way. yeah oh absolutely yeah. and then so we reported it to uh maha did reported it to to socal tracon and at first they thought you know this is a story you're making it up you're crazy but then uh very a couple months ago uh an airline pilot spotted a jetpack flying on final approach to lax so once an airline pilot reported it, then okay now it's credible but you know when <laughs> When CFI calls it in, then it's you know she's seeing things, so that's that's something that would uh, that would be catastrophic, absolutely. Uh, I don't know how maneuverable they are, but they are up pretty high. Um, so there are, there are a lot of different seen, hazards out there. Yeah, and you have to have seen this, uh, Gene. There was videos. I think the was it the I don't know. There were some military trials of them, and they weigh the. Well, I I've think seen those. Yeah, where are these heard, people getting these things? I don't know. I, I, there's a company that's making them. If you go online, there's yeah, there are people who make these packs. Obviously, they probably don't have very long endurance, but they can get up pretty high. They probably wear a parachute. We don't know if they're parachuting down. I have no idea, uh, but they they've definitely been spotted. Um, you could look up LAX, you know, pilots seeing, you know, jet packs. Uh, on final. Um, so, I mean, it's, it's math. <laughs> poor pilots, you know, when they see a drone or a guy in a jetpack, I mean, I wouldn't want to be flying it out these days. Uh, so, who knows uh, what you'll see. As, as a guy riding coach, I wouldn't want to fly into LAX. The other thing, I mean, you know, you, you, Gene, you were talking about people doing stupid stuff. And uh, so I'm, I'm going to just go out on a limb and say you're not watching a lot of YouTube because – Stupid stuff is, I mean, all over the place. And uh, there's that one kid who's riding on top of the uh, the drone Green Goblin style, and he, you know, flies down the street. Have you guys seen that? No, yeah, well, you know, there's stuff like that. Yeah, you know, and this guy, he he rides down, you know, the in major cities. He's riding down the road. It's just, it's nuts. Um, so there's no shortage of, of, of dumb stuff. But, 
you know, you can go back and, and uh, with my, my theory, you know, people, well, you know, the, uh, the regulations and, uh, you know, whatnot, the policy is all working because we haven't had any fatalities. And then I'm going to have to go right back to YouTube and say uh, YouTube is going to invalidate any of that nonsense because, I mean, there, there's some, I mean, uh, well, I, you know, watch your local news. Every, uh, every, anywhere I go, whatever, you know, drone 10. And they'll be flying over I-5 or flying over, you know, 50 or whatever, you know, and they're flying over people. They're doing whatever they want to do. So uh, maybe even if they hold a, uh, you know, and I, this is another hey, one. The airman certificate's got to be going away, you know. Any, any, uh, any you know, predictions on what we're going to rename the airman certificate? No, well, wait, before we move on to that, I, I've got it right here. The FBI says that they're balloons, okay? So the government has spoken. The FBI has investigated, and they're pretty sure that all those pilots saw balloons. Well, okay. I mean, I know that happened with uh, some balloons, <laughs> or balloons too, but... Uh, I'm sorry. Okay. I, I tried to keep a straight face, and, and I just couldn't do it, but... <laughs> All right, you know, party balloons, man. The menace. Um, yeah. <laughs> okay, you know, I, it, and that's okay, whatever. I, I mean, you know, you can go on uh, YouTube and you can see people flying this stuff around. And and the other thing is, you know, even if you do uh, see this, uh, you know, around LAX or wherever, there's, you know, and, and I think that uh, guys should probably uh, can confirm this, but I would say that there are some creative folks in the LA area that can build all kinds of crazy stuff. And I'm not, you know, trying to say that they're uh, unsafe or whatever, but I don't know if I'm buying the balloon deal. Um, I don't even know if I'm buying the drone deal, that Gatewick thing, you know, they, they still, after the million pounds and all the money they paid out to those poor people, they arrested for no reason and all the rest of that stuff, still no pictures, no video, no trace of any drone. And a lot of this, I just think, is is uh, part of the hype. And, and uh, you know, I, I think that the, the industry has been, um, the domestic industry has really been, uh, let's say, uh, hurt by, by this knee-jerk stuff. Anybody want to jump in on that? Yeah, I'll jump in on that. I mean, so, I don't want to point fingers, but, I mean, I... <laughs> I'm not involved specifically really deeply in the FPV sector, but I know people who are and people who sell uh, equipment to them. And if you just go online, go to YouTube and look at long range drone flying, multi-rotor and fixed wing, you will see guys posting videos flying out 10 plus miles in the U S thousands of videos. I mean, so you know, a lot of times they're in more remote areas. However, you know, out that far, uh, you know, there's, there's obviously risk. Some of them are flying high. Um, there are a lot of international videos too. But there's, there's a lot of capabilities, not just LAX. Uh, people in Tucson, Arizona, heavily, in, I mean, out in the desert, their FPV community out there really doing some long-range crazy stuff. So it does happen. Uh, you know, I'm hoping that that's decreasing. With time, you guys mentioned like a lot of the younger generation not particularly interested in this technology, which I'm seeing firsthand as well. Um, but, yeah, there's a lot of capability out there on off-the-shelf components. Uh, we have had guys 
flying even just phantoms and mavics off the shore here out a mile or two miles because the range is four plus miles in your basic mavic or phantom um so there is still some of that going on so there i think you know the fa from what i'm my conversations with them are you know concerned about a mid-air absolutely and there has been a mid over the helicopter back east and uh, that that's their primary concern i do agree patrick you're talking about that you know the risk to, to damage on the ground or people on the ground injuries is is much much less maybe than anybody ever feared uh, i agree with that definitely and i have heard also people in fa who i respect tremendously you know in the type certification department talking about how they even refer to uh, you know small unmanned as as lower risk low weight lower risk so they're they're acknowledging it that they're not in the operational side right uh, they're in the air, aircraft certification branch, but I think that's a positive step forward. Um, I do. So mm-hmm. um, I, I understand your point. I know there's a lot of data from other countries, but our, you know, if you look at the FAA's mission statement, it is to ensure the safety of the NAS. Period. It's not to help businesses grow, or that's not their purpose. So. Yeah. I, I you know they have to, it's the most complex NASA in the world. It's um, so it's going to just take a lot. To, you have to have a lot of patience if you want to be in this business. Is all I'm saying. You just got to be patient. Uh, and I, I think it will happen. That. You know. You know, I, I can dig all of that, and uh, I understand all of that. But I, I don't. Uh, the thing that I don't understand is, you know, and you've been in aviation for a long time, so cyclically the safety numbers. Uh, you know, they're 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 not flatline. They go up and they go down. Right. You know, there's sure. issues with uh, uh, the safety numbers. I mean, I'm, I'm not talking 121, uh, but you know, the rest of the stuff. Uh, so, you know, the, to say that you're going to have zero risk and you're not going to have any fatalities or anything else or any mishaps or whatever is just totally unrealistic. In the meantime, what we've had is we've had uh, an aviation sector that's on the decline. And, you know, we talked a little bit sure. about the, the STEM thing. You know? yeah. And it just boggles my mind. And maybe because I've been to China, and I know Gene's been to China, but the thing is, is, you know, everybody's talking, you know, we've got to compete with China. And we've got to get the kids in STEM. And and it's like, uh, well, you're missing the boat because there's, there's a few things that are that are happening. One, in China, they're investing heavily in this. It's not a toe in the water. Two, there's a, a ecosystem where, you know, you come up with an idea you can go down the street and you can talk to people from the factory and they will produce it for you. They will prototype it for you. They will have something for you or they can sell you something that they already have. The other issue that we have, and you know, is, is the um, people seem to discount because I think they think that China is just like the United States, but uh, you know, compulsory overtime. If you're working someplace and they want to work you seven days a week, 16 hours a day, they do it. And that's just the way it is, you know. And some people rolling around with, uh, you know, I could probably get sued for this. But allegedly, you know, uh, my Apple products, uh, you know, have, have people that are that are doing overtime that don't want to do overtime. So I don't know, you know, how we're going to catch or compete with that, you know, when people say we've got to compete with China. So I think what we need to do is, is refocus on, uh, you know, American tech. An American uh, aviation sector, and if we really want to have that, we're going to have to uh, get off the 50s, 60s, and 70s mindset uh, and move forward. And you know, Gary Mortimer 
said maybe it's time, and I, and I might agree with this, to take a blank sheet of paper and re-examine uh, some of the, the, the aviation world. And one of those would be, and, and you've been flying a long time, Gus, and so have you, Gene, but, and you, Gus, probably more. Um, since you've been flying and since you've been living in California, I mean, you've probably seen, I mean, L.A. is just like one big town that, what, what is it, you know, from, uh, you know, Six Flags to probably almost San Diego is a, is a town. Would you agree or disagree with that? Oh, yeah, that's absolutely. We've seen, and we have actually taken aerial photos, you know, for the last two decades here since I've been flying around in, you know, mm-hmm. Southern California. Uh, and and the, we sometimes we look at some of the photos we took 10 years ago or 15, and just it's unbelievable the difference. So yeah, it's it's filled, and the population is filled. Uh, I just wanted to quickly touch on your your point, Patrick. You're talking about you know competing with other countries, and uh, this goes back to also what you're saying. A lot of the younger new young generation, whether the Gen Z, I can't keep track, uh, not not so interested in, in drones. Um, but also they're not as interested in aviation, right? So you're right. GA is definitely on the decline. I mean, I've, I've, like I said, I've been based at Palomar Airport since 1999. There was a lot more flight training going on back then. Um, it's reduced a lot since then. Uh, I will say that uh, the majority of people doing flight training in the area uh, are not from the U.S. They're from foreign countries. Mm-hmm. Uh, the weather's good here. The same is true in Arizona. Um, so they're coming from other countries to train here because of the weather, and it's less expensive to train here. So it's definitely a problem. Uh, you know, my wife, who's a certified flight instructor, um, we talk all day, every day, about some of the problems with some of the, the, the younger students. She's trying to help get their license, and um, it's a challenge. They're, they're not as interested. Um, a lot of them don't want to study. Uh, it's a lot of, you know, a lot of pressure to really be able to learn and assimilate all this information, um, and that's that's an issue. A lot of them don't want to do it. They don't feel like they have to learn it, or oh, I'll just, the, the, you know, when I go to the oral check ride, it'll be an open book. Well, you know, <laughs> not doesn't really work. No, you have to you have to know this information. You have to know the, you know, communi- ATC communications their way. You can't just make up words like some people like to do um, that. Uh, I mean, sometimes you'll hear, yo, Hey, on, on <laughs> recently in the last couple of years, Hey bro, or thanks bro. You know, that, that's just not going to work. I mean, we get really <laughs> offended by that. Um, you know, <laughs> you know, so that's, that's a problem. I don't know what the solution is or if there is a solution, but definitely we're seeing decrease in, in flight training. Uh, well, absolutely without a doubt. You're, you're hitting, okay, this is another thing. So kind of, kind of interesting too is that, and I think, you know, it's a popular culture thing. So you're, you are, uh, everybody, you know, I got my cell phone and my smartphone and I'm going to, whatever I need to do, you know, on uh, to, to pass the test, you know, the kids have got tricks, but I think you're, you're also hitting on why millennials, it, it's funny, you know, we got Buzzy the drone and we're going to educate again. This is, this is, 60s, 70s, maybe 80s thinking from the FAA. Kids today, these damn kids today, uh, have their own, um, let's say, social mores and, and what they think is acceptable and what is not acceptable. Um, and a lot of them, you know, touching even back on what Gene was saying about getting a license for the car, you know, I, they don't even want to drive. 
They don't, they don't want to deal with the hassle. They can't afford it. They don't, you know, want any rules. Um, and I think that's the same thing with the drone thing. So that's why I was a big proponent of uh, point-of-sale registration. And I know why that went down, you know, fooling his money or soon partying, you know, or whatever. If you're sitting there at Best Buy with the credit card, 1500 bucks, and you're reading over a piece of paper that you have to sign that says you can't, can't do this, can't do that, can't do this, can't fly there, don't do this, can't fly, you know, they're going to go, why am I spending this money? I could go into the uh, metaverse and uh, make an uh, ape NFT and, uh, you know, build a house over there and hang out. It'll be great. So I think that, um, and, and, and not just the FAA, but uh, regulatory-wise, I think people are misunderstanding what's inside the, the mind of the young people. The other thing is we've been on such a focus for so long that technology is software, uh, which was really, I think, uh, you know, it was a, a great way to run down the rabbit hole if you wanted to find a unicorn company, but not realistic uh, to, to build some sort of industrial base where you're going to compete with a country that's, you know, got not the, the same labor laws or environmental laws that we do. So um, I think it's going to take a little bit more than STEM training. Uh, the other thing with the, the aviation, you know, when I was in high school, the year I got to high school, we, the, the guy, we had a flight instructor in a plane. The guy retired the year I got there. Hmm. Um, there's nothing like that now. It's very expensive. Um, it's crowded. Uh, you know, it's stressful. And if there's one thing young people don't like, it's stress. You know, so I, I don't know. Yeah. I, I have heard ideas. People do have ideas about uh, flight training and, and whatnot. And I do. Uh, I think the FAA, uh, if they if they wanted to bolster the the, the flight. Thing, man. They're, they're going to really have to start possibly thinking about subsidizing flight training. And I, I think that would be a way to kind of bring things back. You guys? That's an interesting thought there. Um, I wanted to mention one, one other thing talking about flight training. Um, it's not that the FAA is, is unaware of these issues with the younger people, too, because as a flight instructor, my has to, you know, refresh your course every two years. And at the last one, uh, the FAA has actually introduced some language on guiding flight instructors on how to, what the right word is, I know what I want to use, but how to handle you know, millennial or younger students in a, in a proper way so that you don't upset them or whatever. Maha showed me the stuff. She's just like, oh, no, oh, no. I, I'm not you doing this. You know, they got to learn face? it. <laughs> no. <laughs> you know, if they can't hack it, then they're done. So she's like, I'm not going to sign somebody off or I can't coddle you know, I'm not here. I'm not a coddler. Uh, you know, I, this was, was training not, aviation. She's not so. a coddler. It was funny even before, you know, we had a delay and starting this off and I heard Maha in the background about the production quality and it was some Boy Scout level stuff, which was probably, <laughs> you know, uh, I was probably, I'm giving uh, Boy Scouts a bad rap on how bad it was, but uh, yeah. She's, she's not a coddler. And, I, I, you know, in something like that, I, I don't want to be on the ground with someone that got coddled, you know. Uh, yeah. I've jokes right. about it, but it's like, you know, I, I lost my vape pen, you know. I, hey, man, you know, leave the vape pen at home, okay? So right. I, do, I, I don't think – I do think that aviation is serious, We, you know, and it is very stressful. Um, and I don't think you can dumb it down. Correct. And you can't. Yeah. Is going to be a solution. Your safety numbers are going to go down. But 
I do think that there are some kids out there, I mean, I, you know, teaching at a the university level, and I'm sure I know, you know, we didn't even get to talk about what Gene's doing. So we're going to run long, and that's okay. But um, at the university, there are some kids that are interested in this stuff, you know. True. But Absolutely. I would say that there is a total lack, and you guys are old enough to remember woodshop and auto shop and actually being able to touch the tools, you know. Right. Um there, that has been missing for so long that people don't know how to use tools. They don't understand the process of, of uh, even prototyping or manufacturing or building something. Mm-hmm. And uh, sure. they seem to get frustrated early. Um, you know, it's one of the, again, back to YouTube. You know, I don't need to know. If I need it, I'll go on YouTube and I'll learn it. I'll watch a five-minute video because that's what my attention span is to learn it. And you're not going to learn that process in five minutes. But would, that's would you agree that there are people that are interested, and would you agree that that, that process is, is seemed to be missing, or, or am I wrong? No, I agree. It's definitely missing. There, I mean, down here, some of the local high schools are trying – they're recognizing that problem, and they're trying to increase the, the STEM activity, the engineering, and the computer science. Um, but but I, I agree with you completely. Not being able to work on anything is, is a problem. Now, the other issue is, you know, a lot of the things that we surround ourselves with can't be worked on anymore, like a, a new car. Uh, I mean, I grew up, you know, in the 70s and 80s, and, you know, my car, I could still change a carburetor if I had to. But now you <laughs> you need a computer to diagnose it or your phone. You can't – there's not even a – you can't even open your phone anymore, most most phones. So – that's, you know, we used to be able to take things apart, but a lot of things are just disposable anymore. Um, so that's maybe part of the problem. Um, but I think, I also think we probably need to start introducing some kids to STEM at a younger age. That would be my recommendation. Any teachers out there, anybody in the educational industry? I think by high school, it's too late. It's way too late. Um, oh, I, I, mean, I became interested in science when I was like 10, right? And then it led to a lifelong interest. So I think you know, when the kids are late single digits, you know, just have some out there. And, of course, not every kid is going to be interested, but if you get 10%, 20%, isn't that a good thing? I don't know. Uh, absolutely. And I know that uh, Gene is a automotive tinkerer. And I, I, <laughs> I used to uh, crack jokes in class, and I'd be like, hey, and, you, you know, you do a tune-up on the car, and if uh, you put the distributor cap on and uh, it runs rough, means you drank too many beers while doing the two-wrap. And they're like, what? Who? Distributor cat? What are you talking about? You know, Dean, you know what I'm talking about. You know, uh, yeah, you're right. I, You know, I took that Prius and ripped the batteries right out of there and put a 350 short block Chevy in there. Man, I, I tell you, it's been never been the same. Uh, yeah, I'm not sure that thing is uh, shooting flames now. You know, you're laughing at my Prius. But, uh, <laughs> but yeah, no, kids, you know, it's like one, and you guys probably, you know, you're back down memory lane, but, you know, people are like, oh, yeah, you, know, you got uh, the X games that people are doing freestyle, uh, you know, the BMX bikes and stuff. Now, you guys probably remember. The only thing we had as a BMX bike was with the uh, the Schwinn Swinger or something, you know, with the banana seat. Stingray, the Stingray. stingray yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and you had to build your own bike man if you wanted to to do that because uh you know you had to get rid of all the weight anyway and then you know dirt bikes and cars and whatever else and you got into this stuff and you started building stuff uh you did stuff now um 
I'm not going to say that there's a disdain for, let's say, industrial arts or whatever, but I will say that a lot of people's parents don't let them go outside, let alone go out and work with tools or know how to even work with tools themselves. And uh, I agree with you, Gus. Uh, high school, uh, too late. Uh, I remember growing up, everybody's dad had tools in the garage, you know, and yep. uh, you guys yep. remember that too, and you would leave dad's tools scattered around the garage, <laughs> you know, when the project was done, you know, um, but, you know, that's not really the case anymore. And kids, that, like I said, they, they don't understand that it is, I don't care what you're doing. It's a process, you know, and, uh, and that you're not, we're not going to compete with China on that. I mean, you know, I don't know, you know, who's going to sign up in middle school for the, uh, who, who, you know, the compulsory labor uh, class, who, who's in for that? Who wants to sign <laughs> for that? Yeah. Billy, get over here. Yeah. Not happening. So, um, you know, we, we do have some larger issues. And, and, and what you also talked about there, uh, guys, with the trying to craft it to what the millennials are going to want. That is just a recipe for disaster. It's not going to work. Yeah, um, exactly. That's definite failure in the making right there. And if I'm not... I see that too with the. Um, it, 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 I, I think we have to get used to it because it has totally permeated our culture. I mean, even the uh, you know they're trying to change the nomenclature on the FARS and AIMS and all the rest of that. They're going to take a lot of money and a lot of um, effort. And you know the the other you know some of the the safety stuff and the crew resource management and the drones are going to uncrewed. I don't know what we're going to do with the airman certificate and the notice to airman thing is turned into notice mm -hmm. to air mission. I think you're going to add a lot of confusion and disarray within, let's say, the, the uh, legacy aviation community. And what that's going to do is instead of people imparting that knowledge on, let's say, new people to aviation, I think uh, you're going to have a little pullback like, like you had mentioned and people are going to be like, I'm just not even dealing with these people. Did anybody agree or disagree with that? Yeah, nomenclature changes, I mean, they cause confusion. Uh, we, we've seen this also uh, because there, have been, uh, there are so many foreigners um, training, doing flight training in the United States. Uh, I'll give you one example. Uh, we used to do, uh, you know, when we would request clearance to take off, the air traffic controller would say, okay, uh, Bonanza 551 Juliet Alpha, uh, position and hold. Okay, so you tax into position and, and you hold. Uh, they did away with that. And now it's line up and wait. Okay, because I guess that was causing confusion for a lot of non-English speaking, which English is supposed to be required, you know, if you're right. in aviation. Uh, so now line up and wait. Well, what is he talking about? Line up where? Anyway, so that's just one example. Um, so it's going to, it, it's always going to cause confusion. Um, and it's, you know, we're here not, to, you know, the regs shouldn't, I, I, ideally, you know, they should focus on safety first. Um, and so that's just my thought on that. I mean, yeah, no, I, I agree with, go ahead, Gene. I was just going to say, yeah, when I, when I flew my non-ABSB uh, 172 into San Antonio's Charlie Airspace and landed there, I was like, what do you mean, line up and wait? <laughs> I was like, yeah. there's, no, there's nobody in front of us. Line up where? <laughs> line up oh. where? 
you know, I think I think that uh, again causes confusion. And the thing is, is you know, everybody talks about uh, well, they used to. I don't hear it so much anymore. But that was that uh, aviation culture of safety. And you know, there, it just seemed like there was more of an ecosystem around aviation, and even the model. Uh, you know, you go to the RC shops, and a lot of the people that worked there were also manned aviators and RC guys, you know, and you can kind of talk sense to people, you know, it's like, you can't go, you know, I'm sorry. I mean, if you want to, you know, you can, you can buy the, you know, size 90 jet and, you know, spend $30,000, but you're not going to be able to fly that. So, you know, and the guy would talk you down now, you know, you get on the internet, interweb and you order up and, you know, do whatever you want to do and crash it or, or whatever, if that's what you want to do. Um, I really believe that that Section 3036 thing, just a, a, an unmitigated disaster. And uh, what what's happening with uh, the RC community, what's happened with the domestic RC, let's say, innovation manufacturers. I mean, those guys are all, it's, they're gone. Um so that ecosystem is, is now uh, parts of it have fallen away. And I, you know, I don't hang out at the airport, but you know, people used to, you know, you're at the flight school and people would uh, talk and, you know, talk about current things. And there's people in that ecosystem uh, talking about things that are happening and, and what the current problems are, whatever. I mean, would, would you say that that's still going on at the airport or it's less or just less action or what, what what's going on in, in that, Aviation safety culture, yes, it's still well, there. Is it we, changing? Yeah, we, it is. I mean, maybe it's smaller than it used to be, but there still are meetings. Yeah. Um, we, you know, the FISO, they still put on meetings. There are uh, EAA still puts on safety meetings. So there are, I would say there's not a tremendous amount of invo- or as much involvement as there used to be. But, again, the pilot community is, is shrinking for a variety of reasons, but also, you know, cost too. Um, so, you know, as the cost of everything goes up, especially the airport where we're at, you know, it's a lot of the GAs being pushed out, you know, by the corporate corporate jets and the fleet of jets that are there. So we have a little bit smaller community, but there, it, it is still there if you want it. And a lot of it's available online if you can't go in person now because of COVID. So it's still out there, but you, you have to be, motivated to do it on your own, basically. Um, you have to be one of those people who takes the initiative um, and to find it and to participate in it. It's, and that's not a big segment of the population. Well, and cost is one other thing I'm going to talk about. So here in California, um, you know, like there's an airport in San Jose. It's been there, I think, I want to say since the 60s. And it is, uh, it's got a runway that can accommodate you know, uh, like private jets. And the city wants to, it's just hot to close it down. You know, even the, even the uh, airport in Sacramento, that uh, executive city's chomping at the bit, would love to close it down. I think it's something like 800 acres or something. And they, like, you know, we could put in subdivisions here, the tax base would go way up, um, things like that. And as aviation is, is declining, uh, l- look what happened in, uh, God, what was that? Uh, there was a Marine Corps air station in uh, their their Miramar. Was, which one? The, down in Miramar, right? 
Uh, well, yeah, Miramar, but I, I was thinking, no, it's not Tustin. There's another one. El Toro. El Toro, yeah. Yeah, it was a, it was a big Marine Corps. Was, I mean, they just, you know, and they had runways. You could uh, get commercial jets in there. Dozed everything in its subdivisions, you know. Um, I, the, the land value in, in certain states is so high that uh, these, these, uh, these, I think these, these airports are going to go. Uh, and that's also going to create uh, issues for, for the aviation community. So uh, I do think that that whole, really, the FAA leadership needs to, you know, I know, like you said, Gus, and I know that their their uh, mission is not to grow the aviation business. But, again, 60s thinking, in the 60s, you know, uh, you could go and, and get a job uh, at, you know, um, Lockheed down there in Burbank, you know, you can uh, remember how, I don't know how long you've been in California, Gus, but the, the aviation, I mean, California was an aviation state, you know, was an aerospace state, uh, rockets, you know, missiles, uh, you know, it's a lot of DOD stuff, but aircraft, people were building aircraft, blah, blah, blah here. Most of that is all gone. Um, and, and that's true. Since World War II, so they didn't a lot of history around here. Yeah. Oh, tons of it. So they didn't really have to. Um, they didn't really have to build the aviation business. It was going gangbusters on its own. And so I think that they need to change that uh, personally because uh, it may already be too late. But you know, everyone's looking at this UAM thing. It's how you know, just like LSA. You, know, you guys remember this too. How LSA was going to save. Uh, GA. And I think, you know, if memory serves me right, 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 Gene, weren't they talking like $50,000 a copy in the, uh, when we did the F-38 kickoff? Yep. That seems to be the number. Yeah, but, uh, you know, I mean, what what is, uh, you know, if you want to go buy a Cirrus or something, I don't, they're not 50 grand, are they? (laughs) No, No. you can get, uh, you can get ultralights cheap, cheap, cheap. (laughs) Yeah, well, we all know why, too. I mean, I look at those, uh, yeah. <laughs> that kilt, kit milk stuff, and I don't know what you're smoking, buddy, but I ain't getting in that, you know. Yeah, exactly. So, no, I, I know you guys, higher I, than I, you're I, afraid to fall. Yeah, on, on that note, a related note, I, I think that it's still a number of years out, but I, I, I'm hopeful that the electric revolution, uh, when, it, when it comes to full-scale aircraft, I'll just use that term, uh, that that could that could be a game changer. That could grow the the industry a little bit um, because you know one of our biggest costs is fuel. It you know it's almost seven dollars a gallon for avgas where we're based right now. We fly to another field to get quote unquote cheap gas at five dollars a gallon. Um, so if you take that out, because <laughs> we call it cheap gas, because it is. I mean it's very cheap for us. Uh, but if you take that you know that expense out of it you know, the operating expense of that. Okay, that then that changes things. So maybe this is one area where the government can help subsidize the, the development of or once these once there are companies that, that emerge that are going to be successfully producing small electric aircraft, you know, just like they're doing with the electric cars. I'm I'm sure a lot of the manufacturers get subsidized from the government, but maybe the government can invest in them to help bring down the cost because um, I'm sure a lot of people, and that could be one reason that some people are not even interested in, and I don't talk to a lot of people about this, but, you know, we're still burning, you know, 100 low lead. 
Um, so a lot of people yeah, are not happy with that. Started. You know, so there are, you know, replacements coming out and, you know, but it's still going to take a while. But, uh, you know, imagine if all our aircraft were, were electric. Um, just cleaner, yeah. quieter, more affordable. So I'm hoping that that is going to be the future, really. I, and, and, you know, me too. And I have seen electric aircraft fly at, uh, I think we were at Farnborough in uh, mm-hmm. 2014, I think it was. And they were, they were and it was great, you know, and I, and I like that. But, uh, you know, some of the what you're just talking about too, there was, uh, you know, in this Build Back Better thing, there was a effort or drive to get some subsidies for drone inspection. I know the flying car folks were trying to get some subsidies because that's my thing. That the whole uh, AAM thing is not heavily subsidized. And again, going back to the FAA and we're not here to uh, facilitate business or whatever, dead in the water right. or it will be all uh, Chinese. And, you know, and again, I'm not deriding the Chinese. They're doing exactly what they should be doing. Uh, they're just, you know, beating the pants off us, and it's just, you know, it's kind of sad to watch. Uh, but, the, the, you know, without heavy subsidies, you know, we've already, it's, again, you know, like, oh, you know, farm drones or drones are new. We've already had uh, UAM. You know, we had it in the 60s. We had it in L.A. We had it in Chicago. We had it in New York, you know. Um, it was heavily subsidized. And when the subsidies went away, uh, you know, it went away. And, and the idea that you're going to do 40 cents a passenger mile, electric aircraft, uh, I think these guys. It just tells me when you're sitting down and you got the spreadsheet open and you're doing that, you're not an aviation person. You're uh, a cell phone app person talking about, you know, 40 cents a passenger mile. I, I just don't see it. Mm-hmm. And we already have UAM and helicopters. Yes, they're noisy, um, but, you know, I don't make $200 an hour or $400 an hour. So, uh, you know, I, I, I can't justify it. You know, I'm not Rupert Murdoch. So, but I, I do, I agree with you uh, that, you know, the low lead's a problem, which is another example of government doing whatever they want to do. Uh, how long have they been lo- working on a solution for low lead? You guys know? A replacement fuel. Yeah, a, a long time. And I believe one just got patented recently. Um, Gammy, the folks at a company called Gammy Injectors, um, brilliant guys. They make fuel injectors, modifications for general aviation aircraft. They came up with the replaceable a replacement. Um, so it's patented, but, you know, getting it produced and the infrastructure for it, I don't know how long that takes or, you know, where, you know what the barriers are to that. Uh, but I believe it got certified or approved. Uh, you can look it up. I read an article about it uh, a few months ago. Well, you know, so, you know another... go ahead, Gene. What, what about us guys with the marvelous Marvel uh, Schiebler carbureted aircraft? <laughs> what are we going to do? Well, I think, honestly, I think there was also, there's some STC for running just regular unleaded avgas in certain Cessnas. Um, oh, that scares the hell out of me. Yeah, I know, but the, supposedly you can do that. I mean, you have to look that up, but um, I want to make sure I got the octane. I'm with you. Um, yeah, I've looked at that STC, Gus, and I, you, not me. Mm-mm, not for no you. Way. Okay, I haven't looked at it in detail, but it's well, there. 
for people who want to try it. <laughs> Mo gas is no gas. <laughs> well, yeah. You know, this is another one of those things where the FAA and government can, can do what they want to do. You know, I, I uh, this is what goes back to 2008, and you know, they were talking about with the the, the, the risk from drones to people on the ground. You know, they're part of the NAS and all the rest of that. And I said, well, you know, let's talk about leaded gasoline. Because aircraft do burn leaded gasoline. And, you know, the uh, CDC says that no amount of lead is safe for children, all the rest of this stuff, right? And uh, in California, CARB says you cannot dispense any leaded fuel into any motor vehicle. And it includes aircraft. Aircraft are considered motor vehicles. But they were given an exemption because the FAA has preemption over state law. So I'm like, hmm, you know, interesting. So, you know, they can do, uh, it goes to, to show or prove that they can do whatever they want to do. And in this case, they did do whatever they wanted to do, and we all suffered for it. Um, you know, and, 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 you know, so I'd like to bring it back up. I know we're running real long, but I wanted to talk about what you're doing, Gene, and then I also want to talk about what uh, Gus is doing because uh, we, we talked a little bit about some FPV stuff, and I do want to talk about that. But uh, Gene, you know, I, I know you're uh, you're 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 all Professor Robinson over there, and I want you to talk a little bit about the program that you're standing up and you're doing uh, there in in the great state of Texas, or not. You know, if you don't want to share, that's okay. Oh, sorry, I was yakking, but I had to mute on. So, um, oh, okay, yeah. good. Very interesting. Yes, it. yes. No, uh, I'm working with Austin Community College, and you know, community colleges are considered to be trade-type colleges of higher institutional learning, and uh, um, we are working very diligently on our drone program. We've started out mostly with public safety, obviously, because that's kind of my background and where we're coming from, but. Uh, we are now moving more towards the uh, commercial side of it and trying to get more and more young people interested in not only UAS, but also robotics as well. So uh, this coming year in 22, we're, we're hoping to include some robotics courses as well, but uh, the main thrust of the whole program is uh, getting commercial pilots certified and uh, get them uh, at least a two-year type certification program going. And uh, we've met with uh, uh, some pretty good uh, results so far, and uh, we really haven't done the marketing push like we would like to see it done. Of course, it's controlled by the college, and, and they're going to go at their own pace. And, and uh, we're having to deal with this COVID BS and are you going to do it online or are you going to do it, you know, face-to-face? And we just had this discussion the other day. Look, you're not going to be able to do proficiency training online. Right. So it's, it's uh, you know, Gus and, and Maha, they both know this. You know, you got to be right there in their face and showing them how to move the sticks and, and what happens when you do it. So we're, we're kind of having to muddle through that. And uh, the good thing about it is, like I said at the beginning of the show, we're, we're accepting some stuff in agribusiness, which there are some folks out there and, and maybe a good candidate for the show to, to have them on and talk about their business model for agribusiness. Uh, very large drones and uh, inspection business and those sorts of things. I mean, the mainstays that we've talked about for a long time. 
And uh, it's been very satisfying, very gratifying to, you know, sit in the classroom and, you know, regale my students with all my tales of daring do, you know, with the FAA and uh, doing searches and going all over the world and uh, hope that, you know, we can start building the pilot cadre in the, in the drone industry and get them to uh, perform safely. And uh, being from, you know, the man side, I'm going to stress that. I mean, everybody knows airspace. Everybody does the checklist. Everybody does the things that I learned as a manned or a, a personed aviator, right? <laughs> anyway, um, you know, when I was going through flight school. So uh, it's modeled after that, and we are one of the uh, FAA's um, uh, institute uh, of um, Institute partners for education. So, you know, we're we're trying to, you know, check all the boxes, and uh, hopefully we'll be successful with that. Yeah, it's you know going back. I mean, I like working with the kids, and there are some people that are very interested. Uh, the other thing I think it's kind of interesting. One thing I've noticed is the the Women seem to make great pilots. Some of the best people that I've had uh, come through are, you know, have been uh, female, and, and, and it's great. And uh, sometimes they're yes. a little apprehensive about, and this might be a social thing, a little apprehensive about, you know, stepping out in front of everyone to do something. But, you know, um, you know it's like, yeah, well, you know, we're all, you know, we're all friends here. I always tell people, you know, we're all friends. Nobody's. There's no stupid questions and all the rest of that. I think it's a, really the instruction and in how you uh, how you present it. But I agree with you. You know, the same deal. Oh, can we do you know online? You know, well, you can do some of the ground school stuff uh, online. But you are right. There's no for being right there. It sticks. Watching what's going on. Spatial awareness. Safety. Um, you know, everybody thinks they've got it within 30 seconds. It's just not. You know, I mean, yeah. a lot of the fun that I was doing was on board the uh, Jeremiah O'Brien in the uh, San Francisco at the wharf there. And, uh, you know, besides it being a really cool venue, there's rigging, cranes, <laughs> and stuff like that. So you really got to be on top of it, you know, when you're flying on the spatial awareness and all the rest of that. Uh, very little uh, room for error. But, um, it's interesting that they're doing that, and uh, you know, best of luck on that. But you, you are going to do the uh, law enforcement and whatever else, so you're, 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 and search and rescue and whatever. So you're also, I think, uh, yes. must be teaching the process. You know. Uh, yes, absolutely. We sure are, uh, and and that's been very gratifying. I can I can anecdotally support what you said about the the, the female pilots because. Uh, we've taken some, oh, my God, I can never do this. I'll, I'll never be a, any good at this. And, then, you know, after the end of the course, they are the best pilot, and they're the most confident pilots because they have been built from, you know, ground zero up. And I really kind of like to see those folks. So I can support that statement. Yeah, well, you know, I had uh, I had one. She was kind of playing possum on me because she was uh, she was an Air Force vet. And uh, she was a security personnel, you know, that, uh, you know, guarded the nukes, you know, and I'm like, oh, okay, well, you know, she's actually, I'm I'm like, I'm sure you got to be on the ball and there's lots of aptitude testing and all the rest of that to, uh, let's say, have that that MOS or job in the Air Force, but... uh, you know, I don't know. Some people they're just they're just afraid, and it's not it's not just limited to uh, to, to females. I have lots of uh, guy 
students who are afraid of looking foolish. You know, I don't want to do something or expose myself to be looking foolish, which is just, it's like, well, you know, we're, you can't be an expert at everything when you start out, right? You know, I mean, you got to gotta learn. Everybody's got to learn. Uh, you know, you don't, I think that's another thing with young people is I think when they think they get out of college or whatever, they're supposed to be experts or know everything about a certain field or, or a subfield or something, which just isn't true. You know, you got to work at something for a few years uh, to become an expert in whatever that field is. I mean, you know, that's one of the things that's been on this show for the last, you know, decade or whatever. It's like, I mean, we, we have some people on here that know their stuff. I know I have learned all kinds of stuff. And, and Gina, I mean, you know, what have you felt the same way? You, you don't stop learning. Exactly. Forever. You know, so, if they, you know, you got to not worry about so much what other people think when you're trying to learn something. And, uh, you know, we'll have to get uh, some updates on what you're working on there, Gene, as this unfolds. And I, but I want to do – I want to uh, give Gus a chance to talk about – and well, yesterday we were talking, uh, Gus, a little bit about um, some of the stuff you're seeing happening in the cinematic world. Um, I do – I mean, you cannot – and I'm sure both of you guys I, – I, you know – there's just drone video in, I would say, every video-related medium that there is. I, 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 there's just drone video. It's like it's become perfunctory. Um, and so That's you know, we were talking a little bit about this, guess, and where it was going. And so maybe we can, you can talk about what you're seeing happening uh, in, in the cinematography say, arena, technology-wise. Sure. Well, I started really seeing a change over the summer. Uh, one of the guys that I was working with has been involved in FPV for a number of years, building and flying. And I've, of course, been around lots of people who do it. And, you know, I remember getting my first pair of goggles and, and uh, you know, video transmitter and camera back around you know, a decade ago and putting it on a fixed wing plane and being all excited and okay, seeing this grainy video. You know, it was just <laughs> so rudimentary. I mean, back in the day, I remember they, they were making them with 2.4 gigahertz with transit, which was the same as our for, for control. So, and we didn't have spread, spread spectrum, so we had interference, crashes. I mean, so I gave on that, gave up on that pretty quickly. Um, and, and then over the years, oh, you should get into FPV, Gus. Why would I mean? Why would I fly something for three minutes? It's going to crash, and then you know spend three hours rebuilding it. I, you know, I did that a decade ago. <laughs> Give me a GPS, a nice camera. So anyway, I, you know, I and it's a hobby, right? It's okay. It's fun, you guys. You can do flips, or I could do that too with the fixed wing. But then I started seeing some changes uh, this year with really advancements and developments with uh, with digital video transmission, uh, high def, and new goggles. Of course, DJI coming out with with these incredible yep. goggles. So the guy that I'm yep. working with actually, you know, he was building your typical five inch FPV, flying it around, and it could be a little dangerous, you know. Um, and then he shows up one day with with the new DJI FPV over the summer. I went, huh? All right. He says, Gus, you have to try it. It's got GPS. You know, return home. Like, all right, I'll check it out. Skeptical, of course. I have to admit, <laughs> I was pretty impressed. Uh, I was very because it flies just like it can fly. I put it that way, you know, in modes just like a Mavic or a Phantom, fully stabilized. You know, hit a button, return to home. 
you know, take your fingers off the stick. It just stops there. even has brakes to stop you faster. So it has a lot of safety features, and it has, you know, obstacle avoidance sensors, all this kind of stuff. It's kind of a game changer. So I played with it for a little while, and I thought, I think I'm going to just get one. I think there could be some commercial applications for what I'm doing. And kind of at the same time that that's happening, I'm noticing, kind of like Patrick was talking about, some of these commercials that I am seeing commercials that used to have just stabilized your typical drone footage, you know, flying around in a circle or whatever, to this much more dynamic FPV style flying where it's basically like a bird or, or an aircraft flying along, you know, banking the, where the horizon is not level, climbing and descending, following objects, cars or motorcycles or whatever. Starting to see that from very, very large conservative companies. Uh, I was kind of surprised to see that. Uh, and then I started talking to my clients up in L.A., and they are telling me every single one of them that is the number one demand for jobs is FPV flying. So they are having <laughs> scrambling to find the best FPV guys in L.A. who all are now <laughs> gainfully employed at these aerial cinematography companies um, because of this, this new demand. The other thing that I'm seeing, which has really been remarkable, is this incredible, not just the, the, the advancements in the video transmission, but the miniaturization. So mm-hmm. yes, with, with these DJI goggles, which are amazing, they are compatible with, uh, D, with the DJI. They make an air unit or even a smaller one they teamed up with, a uh, DJI partner with a company called Cadex. And the camera and the transmitter itself weigh around 28 grams, about an ounce. Both Crazy. the camera. I mean, that is, and you're talking sending 720p low to no latency video with incredible range, no dropouts. So now you couple that with the miniaturization of these really small, they, the other issue that they had, you know, they have had small multi-rotors. They've been on Amazon, whatever, for a long time, but they had brushed motors for a long time, which maintenance issues, unreliable, low battery life, and not very good batteries. So they finally started, the last couple of years, started miniaturizing the brushless motors. So now you have these brushless motors with highly efficient ESCs, little LiPos or even lithium-ion batteries. So now you commonly can see, and you can buy even pre-built, completely plug-and-play. Um, they call them 3-inch because they break them on the sides of the propeller. So you know, little quad with 3-inch propellers, which weighs sub-250. Now... Okay, that's kind of cool, but what they also did, this this whole community, I give them a lot of credit. These guys are out there building. They are are really on the leading edge. I'll give them a lot of credit for that. I mean, they're not the only ones building anymore and doing cool stuff, Uh, but they they were decayed because the weight of the – okay, that's fine to have this thing that flies around that weighs less than 250, but if you can't film anything, well, it's no – it's just a toy, right? Right. They started decasing GoPros. So we did that, actually, with this guy I work with. So we decased a Hero, an 8 and then a 9. And you just put it in, and they sell these tiny little 3D-printed cases. Because once that case is off, it's just a circuit board and a lens. And that also just weighs one ounce. One ounce, about 28 grams. GoPro Hero 9, which out of the box weighs five ounces. (laughs) So a lot of it's a heat sink. So there are cases of drawbacks. You You can't just power it up and let it sit on your bench for an hour because you're going to probably start to see smoke, but it gets pretty hot. But as long as you're flying it around. So now think of it, you have sub 250 little quad with digital high def, unbelievable 
transmission under your DJI goggles, and you have a GoPro Hero 9 or a 10 with unbelievable stabilization, 4K video, 60 frames per second or more. And now you can fly indoors and outdoors around tree. I mean, now, so it's opening up all these new opportunities for commercial filming, and you'll see them more and more on different commercials. Real estate is loving it because, you know, flying outside around the yard just goes in through an open window and then flies literally in every room in the house, can fly into a little bathroom and just turn around. I mean, they're so, and they're fully shrouded props, three-inch tiny. You could put your finger in there. It won't even hurt it. And then what they added recently, basically like a quarter-inch foam strip around the shrouds, fully around. So if you accidentally bump into a wall, it literally just bounces off and does not crash. And I couldn't believe until I saw it with my own eyes. does not even drop out of the sky. It's only three feet off the ground. And, but, I mean, you just fly it anywhere indoors. I mean, literally under desks or, you know, up around the lamp. I mean, it's pretty amazing. So that's, these are just new creative opportunities. I wouldn't say this is a new application. It is an application, but it's, it's allowing new opportunities for commercial cinematography that just were not even available even a few months ago. And well, that's pretty remarkable. It is remarkable, and that's really cool. And I've got to, I've got to do more research on that because I want to see it. But <laughs> funny is, you know, so they went with a 250 grams, which was arbitrary. Um, and they said, well, okay, well, you know, eventually the miniaturization, and we'll get down there. Okay, you know, and that's all fine and dandy, and I, I think it's exciting and new or whatever. Then, you know, from the uh, privacy side, um, you know, these things are going to start getting. Small, so small that, uh, you know, the surveillance thing could be a problem. I, I can see issues with that. But, you know. Yeah, I mean, yeah. That, no, that's true. At the rate of miniaturization, I mean, two years from now, I mean, and the cost is also very low. I mean, right. two, three hundred dollars for one of these little cine whoops. Um, and it's funny that you say that because, you know, when you went back to the, and I'm sure Jean can attest to this too, in the early days, uh, most of your time was spent on the bench, you know, right. building, yeah. uh, you had a prototype, and then heaven forbid you did crash, you spent all that time and money rebuilding all of this stuff. Uh, I did, you know, during the uh, art days and, and even prior to that, there were DOD programs that you guys have probably seen in the pictures where they had the bugs. And things like the size of a dragonfly right. that they would yeah, uh, yeah. use for surveillance. And I'm like, oh, holy, you know, here it comes, man. Worker 357, you know, you're not in your uh, assigned area. <laughs> and I'm like, oh, this is dangerous. And, uh, you know, I, I, we're a little bit bigger than that, but, man, I, you're, you're right. A couple of years, um, you know, I can see uh, – I can see 1984, but we'll see what happens, you know, <laughs> that really happens. Um, interesting stuff for sure. And, uh, you know, we'll have, I'm sure we'll have you back on Jess, because we've had you on over the years, you're an innovator and a pioneer and all the rest of that stuff. Um, so we'll be interested to see what you're doing. And I did want to get into the 135 stuff some more. Um, but I think as the year unfolds, we could talk more about that. People are doing the drone delivery. Um, I don't personally. I, I I don't see anybody. You know the waivers, the Part 107 waivers, as far as I'm concerned, the FAA favors, and I do not 
believe that people that and, and you know you can I'll, I'll throw down the challenge the gauntlet you can come on and tell me how you're following the letter of the law and doing all of this and um, not let's say coloring outside of the line I just don't believe it um, as far as you know the drone delivery beyond visual line of sight all the rest of the stuff very hard to comply to the letter of the rules and those will be topics for future shows Gene, I want to hear more about what you're doing as, as this progresses, because you're always on the cutting Of course. Um, but, you know, hey, great first show for uh, New Year's. We had a lot to talk about. We went almost an hour and a half, which I'm sure I will have people, oh, man, the show is too long. It's like, well, that's, you know, they have that pause button. And you hit the pause <laughs> button, and you can come back to it later. Or fast forward or rewind or do whatever you want to do. That's the beauty of the um, of, of the, the internet, man, you know it's, it's wonderful. But anyway, yeah, both you know, thanks both you guys for being on. Sorry about the uh, technical difficulties, but some of that was beyond my control. And uh, we'll have to do this again soon. So, see you guys. Oh, uh, happy New Year and uh, happy, healthy, and prosperous 22 to both of you, gentlemen. Thank, Thank you, you, sir. And be safe. Thank you very much. And uh, be sure and tell Maha we said hi. Yep, give Maha we'll love. Yeah, we miss her. <laughs> we'll, <laughs> we'll do, guys. Good. Thanks. Okay, sounds good. Talk to you guys later. All right. Take care. Thanks. See you. Bye. Bye-bye.